Well, good morning. Lovely to see you all. I hope it's lovely to see me. But it is great to see everyone in church this morning. Um, it's a beautiful day outside, and I believe we've had a beautiful service so far and a beautiful service this morning as well, before we've come to the 9.30, and uh, I believe this is going to be beautiful as well. Today we find ourselves continuing in the book of John, and uh, The title of my message today is Jump. Uh, You might recall from the passage we've just read, there's a a jumping into the water that happens. We will get to that. Uh, That is the title, though, although we're going to talk about a few different things this morning. Uh, Last week, uh, we had a a brilliant sermon here from Anne, uh, who shared with us about Thomas. And uh, I thought it would be good to kind of link up between last week and this week, considering we're, we're really only a chapter apart, and uh, the passage today, John 21, is, proceed, is, sorry, is coming after those, those verses that we looked at. And in fact, it's coming after an appearance of the resurrected Christ, which if you were here previously, you would have heard. And there are in fact three occurrences where the resurrected Christ appears to his disciples. There's other times where he appears, but to his disciples, there's three that we have recorded. The first being when he appeared to the disciples in a closed room without Thomas there, as we heard, and a week later, appearing when Thomas was present. The beauty, I believe, of the story of Thomas, or doubting Thomas as he is sometimes labelled, is that once he encountered the risen Christ, all doubt was dispelled for him. I think Anne put it beautifully last week when she said that doubt is a normal part of the seeker's walk. It's normal. But there is also great faith that can come out of doubt. And this is the beauty of what Thomas encountered when he encountered the risen Christ. Doubt was dispelled. And the truth was that Thomas then went on to serve God mightily for the rest of his days. He's often called the Apostle of India, in fact, because he went there and that was where he was martyred, according to church tradition. Thomas went on to give his life for the service of Jesus Christ. In fact, as we talked about over Easter, perhaps the most compelling evidence for the resurrection in all of the evidence existence is that Jesus' followers went on to spread the gospel and die for their faith, all in many different ways. And what is so beautiful about having new screens is that you can actually read what is on the screen. It's brilliant. They all went on to die for their faith, bar perhaps John, who died in exile, still in exile for his faith, on the Isle of Patmos. These men were dispelled of doubt and went on to serve God powerfully. And I, I, I believe that there is time and a place for us to doubt, 100% in our walk, and all seekers will doubt. But discovering and encountering Jesus dispels that doubt and helps us to walk in faith and trust in what is to come. Jesus appears to his disciples this third time at the Sea of Tiberias, as we just read. Or, if you've heard of it of another name, it's the Sea of Galilee. Uh, For a number of reasons, the name, in fact, is interchangeable. And it's important that we understand uh, some of these little bits and pieces that that Scripture throw at us, these little things, because the context really matters when reading the Bible. Understanding times and places, getting a grip of different details is really important for us. And of course, when we're reading this text today, I hope that we can provide good context. The Bible tends to jump so much between events, especially in some of the Gospels. 
the Gospel of Mark, for instance, reads a bit like a newspaper, event to event to event, it's immediately, it's happening, it's this and it's that. And so it's really good for us to know the context and learn a bit about the background um, of each of our stories, of each of the pieces of scripture that we look at. So the first two resurrection appearances happened within a space of a week from the crucifixion. We're given these details uh, in scripture. John tells us specifically prior to this verse. But this event seems to have happened a fair while later. And John doesn't tell us this explicitly, but he gives us all we need to know to deduce this. Now, in our modern age, we have the help of beautiful things like Google Maps, which are very, very helpful uh, sometimes. When technology works, it's great, right? But a quick Google search tells us that Jerusalem is 123 kilometers from the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. So I don't know about you, but it would take me a long time to get 123 kilometers. Like, I mean, walking on foot, that's going to gonna take me a bit of, bit of time. Even if I'm uh, investing strongly into it, I know we have some marathon runners in the church. It's, uh, that's, that's a bit of time. So we're thinking maybe a couple of weeks at least between the second resurrection appearance of Jesus and this third appearance. It's also important to note that the Sea of Galilee, or the Sea of Tiberias, is the home of many of these disciples. This was their home. Now, I, I know that, that's a, that that might be a little bit of a thing, but a strange thing to say, but you might recall there's another story of the disciples in a boat. Does anyone recall another story of the disciples in a boat? Because they were fishermen, and they used to ply their trade on this exact same sea. They had come home, and Peter had asked them, I'm going, well, he said, I'm going fishing. Come and join me. Now, I don't mean to... Uh, to pretend that everything in Scripture is analogy, because not everything is. But I do think that in this passage, there is some analogy happening that fits very strongly with the Christian walk and with our lives. I couldn't help but think how easily we, as Christian people, can return to our old ways or our bad habits in a low season. Perhaps when we haven't encountered God the way that we have in the past. See, these men had seen the resurrected Christ, but he was not with them in the way that he had been before. And I dare to say that this is a common experience for us. We have low seasons. We have valleys. We can have a great revelation of Christ, maybe when we first begin to believe, or be impassioned by something that really drives us to serve him in our world, in our workplace. But just a little bit of disappointment or things not turning out how we have thought, or maybe even just a little bit of time passing between that experience and that encounter with Jesus, and we can slip back into old patterns, old ways, old self. Jesus shows up on the beach and shouts to the disciples, children, you have no fish, have you? Now, I don't intend to speak exactly for Jesus in paraphrasing what I think he's saying here. might be a little bit like this. Idiots! What has going back to fishing got you? Didn't I call you to something else? Don't you remember? Don't go back to those old ways. What did I tell you the first time? We should be reminded of this story that I mentioned a moment ago of the disciples in a boat in this very same sea, fishing with no result throughout the night. 
Sounds familiar? And Jesus comes by, and they are supplied with a great number of fish. The painting on the screen is by Raphael, a Renaissance artist, and illustrates this story taking place in Luke 4. And you might remember clearly, and I hope you do, that Jesus called them away from their trade of fishermen to be his disciples, his followers, and told them they would become fishers of men. That they would no longer catch fish for a living and for food, but would catch people for the kingdom of God. He had given them a job to do, a task to do. A lifelong task. It would be impossible for these men to miss that parallel of Jesus standing on the beach yelling out, you've got no fish. Now there are many parallels in this passage and we will look at quite a few of them today. But I've drawn, been drawn to start with to something else to get us going, get us rolling. Some of you are like, aren't you already going? Aren't you only going? Yeah, I'm going. But drawn to something that I believe is very powerful before we move into some of the parallels. Uh, there is a, a verse, it's, it's verse uh, 12, where it says, The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. Now, the shock that Peter was naked is something we're going to talk about in a second. Yikes. But I want to talk about something else first. Let's deal with the designation of John of calling himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. See, John is, of course, the author here, writing about himself. Disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. I was struck this week by the power of that statement, how powerful that can be. John sees himself and writes here in the light of the love that Jesus has for him. He identifies with it as foundational to the way he sees himself. He sees himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Not that he didn't love the others, but he sees himself that way. And I wonder if as Christians, if we can really grasp a hold of this truth, if we would not change the way that we do see ourselves and change the way that we walk in the world around us. If I could say... I am Dale, a disciple that Jesus loves. I am loved by God and truly, deeply know that. That he cares for me, that he knows me inside and out. I think that would change my perspective at times, if I could hold on to that truth. It's a powerful thing to know that you are loved. John didn't see himself as a fisherman. He didn't see himself as a poor Galilean. He saw himself as a disciple whom Jesus loved. We also have in the verse a naked Peter. Now, before we think this is too strange, uh, it actually wasn't very uncommon for this to be the case for fishermen in this time. And uh, naked does not necessarily mean in this original language here completely naked. Uh, it could just be a state of undress, which would make sense in being a fisherman out on the water. You're not necessarily going to be wearing a shirt. You might be having to... Has anyone ever fished before? Do we have fishermen or people who like fishing? We've got a couple, right? When you have to clean out those fish, it gets dirty, right? You don't, you don't want to have those clothes on. It gets, gets gross. But John has written in here that he was naked, regardless. 
whether it was a state of undress. And I, I actually think that John was trying to point out to us something here. Because in the Bible, there is something to do with the idea of nakedness, brokenness, shame. And it harks back to another parallel for us, the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve ate of the knowledge of good and evil, and they became aware of their nakedness, and they became ashamed And I think John mentioned this deliberately to show that there is a sense of shame that Peter still felt as a result of his denials of Jesus. If you can think back to before the crucifixion, Peter denied Jesus. He denied him. And there hasn't been a reconciliation up to this point. Not that we read in Scripture. There's one coming. We did get to the verses today. But at this point, there's no reconciliation between Jesus and Peter. Jesus has appeared twice, and Peter has seen him. But there hasn't been a mending of relationship. There hasn't been a repairing of that connection. And I think that this is where John was pointing it out to us, that this is what what Peter was feeling, and that a restoration was about to occur. And, of course, in typical Peter fashion, he responds fairly rashly and jumps out the boat. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, Peter's pretty rash in, in Scripture. He does some pretty interesting things. He's one of those, you know, impulsive, I'm going to do this, I'm just going to do it. So he jumps out of the boat. And we're told that Jesus is, of course, on the shore. Jesus hears it is him and goes to him. Now, again, it's not hard to remember another parallel. There's a number of them here. Another parallel where Peter is getting out of a boat. This time... In the past, Jesus was walking on water and invited Peter to come to him in Matthew chapter 14. Peter stepped out onto the water but began to sink. He began to doubt. And Jesus caught him and raised him up. Raised him up. Now, it doesn't say that Peter walked on the water this time. He just dived in, just God. And it doesn't say that Jesus walked out to meet him. But sometimes it's what Scripture does not say that can teach us something very powerful There was undoubtedly an interaction, a private interaction between Jesus and Peter once Peter reached the shore. And we're not told about it. Scripture skips over that part. Maybe because John didn't hear any of it if he was still on the boat. But I dare to think that in some way the symmetry of the walking on water story allows us to see what happens on the beach. That Peter again is raised up out of the water. He meets with Jesus face to face and has some reconciliation. True, the verses a little bit later do tell us more of that. But I think there must have been something that encountered that happened there between Jesus and Peter. And I know that there are many of you in this room who have a remembrance of an encounter of your reconciliation with Christ. And it's important that we remember these things and I'm going to talk about reminders. Now, once the disciples had uh, reached the shore, it says in, uh, sorry, it, it does say in the next verse coming up, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Seems a bit strange. It might seem surprising that Jesus was not in a form that they could recognize. Doesn't that seem a little bit strange? It did to me when I first read this. 
Why wouldn't Jesus just appear as he had before in the previous two appearances? He looked like Jesus the first two times he'd appeared to them. Why didn't he look like Jesus this time? And I dare to say, and it is a guess, it is my own hypotheses, I dare to say that this has more to do with the faith of the disciples than Jesus trying to be difficult. For after all, Jesus is doing many, many things here to remind them of their past experiences they have had with him that no one else could know. He's reminding them of things that have happened. And is this not the pattern of our Christian walk also? We need to be reminded of what God has done for us in order to be reinvigorated, inspired, forgiven, fueled up, impassioned. We not need to be reminded to return. And there are a few things here that I think also help point to that, aside from what we've already talked about. Firstly, this is a great reminder for the disciples, of course. Firstly, there's the miraculous catch of fish itself. This is, a, of course, the repeat of the previous miracle where Jesus had supplied their needs as was mentioned, he'd supplied their needs. But there were also a number of other occasions when Jesus multiplied fish in order to feed those that followed him. Twice, in fact, he multiplied bread and fish to feed thousands in the Gospels. Here he begins to prepare a meal for them, fulfilling their needs, both immediate of hunger and in the future. A reminder that he will fulfill their needs if they trust him and follow him. Secondly, a reminder, Jesus is breaking, of course, bread with them. Yes, he's got the fish, but he's breaking bread with them. And this is an immediate reminder of the meal that they've actually recently shared with Jesus before his crucifixion. A reminder that they are forgiven of their sins. And, of course, the reconciliation that happens with Peter in these verses is one of repair and forgiveness. Jesus takes the fish and the bread, instead of wine and bread this time, but the meaning is still very much similar. He's invited them to a meal and serves them himself. There is a restoration happening here. Lastly, and I think this is, a, this is perhaps a bit obvious, Jesus is reminding them of himself, of all that he truly is and he has called them to do all that he truly is and has called them to do. These men were called to be fishers of men. There's a lot of fish in here. Lots of fish going on. There's fish in the meal. There's fish in the supply. There's an analogy of fish in what these men are called to do. Lots of fish. The symbol on the screen is the ictus fish. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before. It's a Greek acronym or acrostic for Jesus Christ, Son of God, our Saviour. And this fish, this sign, this exact sign that you might have seen on the back of bumper stickers on Christian people's cars, this fish was the sign of the early church. Not initially the crucifix, which of course we hold to dearly and means so much to us as a symbol. And let me just take a second to say that symbols are powerful if they retain their meaning and purpose. This fish symbol was the sign of the early church. And you can see why. They were called to be fishers of men. And the fish reminded them of what Jesus had called them to do. It was the sign of the early church, as mentioned, and 
especially during times of persecution, it was kind of the, the flash symbol, like, how can I know you're really a Christian? Well, I've got the sign. Here we go. Here's the fish you can see. I'm a fish person. I'm a Jesus person. Jesus was reminding these men that they were called to spread the gospel with the fish as well. So let's recap. I know I've said it, but they were reminded that their needs would be fulfilled, both current and into the future. It's 153 fish they pulled up this time. I don't know about you, but I could not eat 153 fish. There's a lot of fish. There's certainly in excess. And even with the disciples were there, they wouldn't have got through all of that. There was future needs being fulfilled as well. Both their own, maybe to sell to get them going. Who knows? We don't know exactly. But they were forgiven. They were reminded of this, particularly Peter, in his reconciliation with Jesus. And they were reminded that they had a task ahead of them to be fishers of men. So what does that mean for us then? Well, the last words of this passage this morning are, follow me. And I would say we have to learn. We must learn from this. This reconciliation that we have with Christ requires us to follow him. And if we do, if we continue to pursue him, living a life of pursuit of Jesus, we know that our needs will be fulfilled. I'm not talking about riches and glory. I'm talking about needs. God will supply every one of your needs through Christ Jesus. We are forgiven. And we have a task ahead of us to be fishers of men. This is our job as disciples of Jesus. To carry on the torch. We need to spread the gospel. Now we won't necessarily be martyred like the disciples were. I hope that's not the calling for most of us. But we are called to share the gospel. And this is as easy as sharing our story. I know it can be very, it can be very frightening sharing your faith with others. But often... All we need to do is share our encounter with Christ. What Christ has meant to us. Scripture helps us to do that, absolutely. 100% it does. But the power of your own testimony to share with others is beautiful. And I want to encourage you today that that is the job that we have to do. By saying this lastly, we need to jump out of the boat. Jump out of the boat towards Jesus and jump to share his message. Some of us, that might actually mean physically moving and getting off our butt. That's me. I felt very strongly to exhort us that we must follow Jesus with passion. We're not all like Peter. We're not all impulsive people, thankfully. Thank you, Lord. We're not all impulsive. We all have our different personalities and the way in which we will pursue God and what we will do. And I'm not talking about emotionalism here or being excessive. I'm talking about passion for God in our service of him. Passion that will drive us. Let us jump out of the boat towards Jesus today. Continue to pursue him. Trust his promises to his disciples and us, his disciples. And we will not be disappointed. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have called us to do. Thank you that you ask and give us all that we need. Lord, help us to follow you, help us to trust you, help us to pursue you, help us to be fishers of men. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing.